All right. Well, once again, I want to thank you guys for coming out to connect today. I know it's cold and snowy, but uh, yeah, we're going to have a good time. Now, before Andy takes the stage, I just want you guys to know, uh, I talked a little bit about this yesterday at the men's breakfast, but Gene and I came to the Lord back in 93. And when we started going to Central Assembly as the church that we ended up landing at, um, we got there and there was no youth pastor. But they had just offered a youth pastor position to someone, and, and he, him and his family, I don't remember, did you, you didn't have anybody, it was just you and Nancy at the time, wasn't it? And so, uh, yeah, so we heard Andy and Nancy Rots were coming uh, from the Midwest, northern Midwest area coming out to join us, and we're like, oh, okay. So they got there and, and got assimilated in and, and got their feet wet and stuff, and then I don't remember exactly how it happened, but... Andy and I hooked up, and he's like, hey, would you like to be a youth leader? And I'm like, sure. I don't really know what that is. I've only really been a Christian like a year or two. So, yeah, if, if you want me to help, I sure will. And so that was kind of the beginning of my youth leader career, which lasted probably 15, 18 years long. Man, I was a youth leader for a long time over at Central, and I was actually an interim youth pastor there for a few months and stuff, all kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, and so it all started with an invitation from Andy. You know, he saw something. He saw God working in my life, and he's like, you know what? I need some help. Would you like to help me? And so uh, I think that's a good lesson for us all. You know, we all have giftedness, and even if it's not well-refined yet. I mean, like I said, I was, I was just a, a new believer at the time. Uh, but God spoke something into Andy's life, and he said, hey, you know, uh, invest in this young Bob Fick. And uh, I'm so grateful for that. And so that, that's how things happen. So, you know, if you're, if you're wondering, well, you know, I'm not really, I don't feel adequate enough to help out. Well, no, you are. We, we got a good leadership team here that will guide you and shape you and mold you and apprentice you. So uh, we all have giftings and we all have talents to share. Even if you're not quite sure what that is yet, God will flush that out. So uh, so volunteer somewhere here. It, it really wasn't supposed to be a PSA, but now it is. So volunteer here at Connect. But I just want to say, Andy, thank you so much for investing in me all those years ago. We had such a great time and a great friendship was built. And 25 years later, we, you know, we're still friends. And, and uh, Andy, you know, kind of sought me out probably about six months ago. We started dialoguing again. And, and he's like, yeah, if you ever want me to stop by and, and speak, I will. And I'm like, absolutely. So like I said yesterday, we had a great time at the men's breakfast, and uh, we're expecting another great time today. So give it up for Andy. Thank you very much, Andy. The equatorial rainforest is an awe-inspiring part of nature. Towering trees, broad palm fronds, bamboo thickets, with the key describing word being thick. The Bible School campus in Equatorial Guinea was once just rainforest, bush jungle. They spent years hacking it away, piece by piece, foot by foot, yard by yard. Took a lot of manpower, machetes and chainsaws, trying to clear away space for the buildings, the church, and for rooms to train and prepare pastors to plant and lead those churches. Missions is not easy, and it isn't quick. It takes days, weeks, years, and even decades to hack away at the spiritual dark jungle in order to plant the church. Can I make a simple challenge today? Can you take the long-term view of missions? Support missionaries for the long haul. Pray for countries for decades, for it takes that long to see a breakthrough. And come serve until you clear the jungle and the church is established. The heart of missions? We're committed. 
until all have heard. That's just a video I shot in Equatorial Guinea. I was there last year. And so um, I'm Andy Rotz, and it is, I have a wonderful wife, Nancy, and three beautiful daughters, Elissa, Natalie, and Lauren. Uh, it was 23 years ago on February 2nd, so whatever, about three weeks ago, that our oldest daughter was born right here in Great Falls. The old, we said, I was talking about this yesterday, it was at Benefice West, it used to be Columbus, I think that's what it was, and so that's where she was born. It was a cold day, I think it was the coldest day in the nation, it was 30 below, I believe, that morning. Um, It was a scheduled one, this one was C-section, because her oldest one could not make up her mind, so she kept flipping upside down, this way, that way, you know, and she couldn't decide which way to come, so finally we said, that's got to go C-section, so she did, and... um, and we were headed over there that morning. So that's where our re- life began. And we, d- we have great memories from Great Falls. Some crazy things, a lot of youth. We had a wonderful time seeing some of these youth grow. Some of them that are uh, in ministry today. Some that are ser- A lot of them are serving God. It's great to see it. Yeah, even one of those uh, punks back there, Kelly, was one of those kids. Um, and it's nice to see some of them turn out okay. You know, it is. It, you know, pouring into ministry is always a challenge we are, with anything. We always are investing into people's lives, and everybody's got their free will and, for, and their choice. Quick, I'm going to do my quick announcement. Grab one of these magazines in the back. This is a missions magazine we produce every month, and it just gives you the stories from what's happening around the world. And it really gives a global perspective. So just please grab one in the back before you head out the door. Um, Nancy and I have loved ministry, and we really have. We've loved missions. I never thought I would ever go into missions. In fact, uh, I'm going to read a quick quote off of one of the great men of literature, Bilbo Baggins, okay, from The Hobbit. And Gandalf looks at this and says, I'm looking for someone to share an adventure that I'm arranging, and it's very difficult to find anyone. And Bilbo answers, well, I should think so. In these parts, we're plain, quiet folk and have no use for adventures. Nasty, disturbing, uncomfortable things. They make you late for dinner. I can't see when anyone sees in them. And Gandalf replies, You'll have a tale or two to tell when you come back. Bilbo answers, You can promise that I'll come back? And Gandalf replies, No, and if you do, you will not be the same. And I love that, I love that passage because it really is the same way that Jesus looks at all of us and says, Come follow me. And he's going to take us on an adventure. And does he promise that we'll come back? No, but if you do, you will have uh, stories to tell. And it really is. And we will never be the same. And I, that's kind of my life, I feel like. Because I am just an ordinary kid. I'm not a PK, which is a pastor's kid, or an MK, a missionary kid. I'm a CK, a carpenter's kid. So that's what I grew up doing. Uh, my goal in high school was to get a dog, move to the Yukon, and hunt and trap for a living. That's all I wanted to do, you know. And I ended up at a, a Bible college in Minneapolis. That's what I met my wife there. And it kind of changed the trajectory. We started volunteering at youth at a church, and God spoke to my heart, led me into ministry, and guided us. We ended up in Great Falls, wonderful years, great kids, and great youth. And we love seeing, I remember that hall just being packed with youth. And, and so many of them seeing God touch their lives. Then God led us. We pastored in Harleton, Montana. The big, I mean, wonderful metropolis of Harleton, Montana. Anybody know where Harlow's at? You know, the wind blows 370 days out of the year. And I know there's a bonus five days in there, but it is. It blows and blows and blows. And the church really grew. I mean, we expanded. We, we doubled the size of the church. And it was wonderful to see what God was doing there. And I love Harlow. Some of my best friends are still there. I mean, you can't help but love Harleton when you got the snowies and the little belts and the crazies right around you and time to go out in the hills. And it was a lot of fun. And then God spoke to me about missions. Well, it spoke to both Nancy and I. It was a little journey along. Really, it probably started months before we even said yes. So 
I came home one day from a mission service and said to Nancy, I wonder if God is going to speak to us about missions. And it kind of shocked her because her whole dream was to get into one place, spend the whole, her whole life right there, pastoring that one church. And, and so it started us praying. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And, and it's, I mean, it's a process. Sometimes just knowing where God is leading is a process. And I honestly believe God does not always give answers right away because it's more the process that's more important than even the answer. For us, just waiting on the Lord and trusting God is sometimes much more even important than the answer. Because we're just saying, God, I'm going to trust you with how you lead me. And so we prayed. Nancy even, she knew. But I, I came over to the church sanctuary early one morning. I was pacing back and forth. This is probably two months into this process. I said, God, what do you want us to do? do you re- are you really calling us into missions? Or is this the bad pepperoni pizza from the night before? You know, the kind of feeling. And I just want to make sure. And I had my Bible open. I was reading the excuses people give Jesus. I don't know, my eyes. When I pray, I oftentimes read the Bible. I'm reading it out loud. And the one says, I just got... Some new oxen. Let me, you know, I can't follow you yet. Another guy said, one of the excuses, my father just died. Let me go back and bury him. Remember that phrase? And what was Jesus' response? Let the dead bury the dead. It was like God spoke to me right at that instant. Quit making excuses. Quit making excuses. And, I mean, we're all, we're all good with excuses. It used to be the dog ate my homework. Now it's the computer crash. But, I mean, we find ways to make excuses. And so I called my parents a couple hours later and talked to my dad and said, Dad, I'm thinking that God is calling us into missions, particularly Eastern Europe. I don't know why I said that, but I just said it. And his first words out of his mouth were, well, why don't you wait until I'm dead first? And I just thought, uh, where was that verse? I, I think I just read that, you know. And so really God started us on the way. We went to Moldova. We had no idea. We had a heart for Eastern Europe and asked questions. We asked everything from Albania to Russia. We talked to leaders. What are the needs? What are the opportunities? And they said, well, this one's closed. This one's open. And I had a whole list of countries that were there and, and visited with people. And the first time I ever mentioned Moldova, Nancy said, well, we're not going there. I've never even heard of that country before. So, I mean, that was our thing. And I had a, I had a dream one night. I, was, I had a picture of myself standing before a group of people like this. Couldn't t- see anybody's faces. But I heard myself say, we are so excited to be your missionaries to Moldova. And I stopped and went, Moldova, just like that. And the voice coming back to me was, Moldova, 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 Moldova. And God had this little, God and I had a conversation, and it was one word, Moldova. I said, okay, God, we'll go to Moldova. I woke Nancy up at 3.45 in the morning, September 19th, and said, Nancy, the only place we need to go is Moldova. And she said, ah, oh, I could have told you that six weeks ago. Rolled back over and went back to sleep. So she already knew. So, you know, we, we start on that. And Really, there is an adventure of following God. So we said yes, landed, raised our budget, traveled all the way across Montana and across the U.S., and raised our budget, landed in spring of 2003 with our little girls. They were one, three, and seven in the nation of Moldova, 17 suitcases. You know, that was it. And that was just us. You know, it was, it was tough. We didn't speak Russian, didn't speak Romanian. I had to learn it, and it's a hard way. And I never, I never miss it. I mean, there's times that you hate being there, but I never thought I, I never wanted to leave. So God has always called us there. Then we were there 10 years, going back. Nancy said, oh, I'm so excited going back to Moldova. Now, Moldova is not like a destination center for tourism, okay? Moldova was once ranked by Time Magazine as the unhappiest country in the world, okay? Oh, so that's what make great bumper stickers. Too much happiness, too much joy. Come to Moldova! We will suck you dry. I mean, that is really where I, was, I look at that sometimes, and... 
Moldova, but we knew Moldova. You know where the potholes are. You know, the roads in Moldova have potholes big enough to do water baptisms in. I mean, it is, it is rough, but you learn them, and you learn the road, and you learn how to buy your fruit and vegetables from the market and how to use squatty potties. I mean, you're used to it at all, and it becomes comfortable. And we were heading back when I got a call from our uh, regional director and said, hey, I'd like to talk to you about moving to Russia to help us in leadership there and serving as the area director for Russia and Belarus. Now, Russia is large, if you hadn't noticed, one-eighth of the world's inhabited landmass. So living in St. Petersburg, I could fly in an airplane for 10 hours and never leave the country. So that, you know, that's how wide it is, okay? So we wrestled with it, and I said, ah, well, I don't, you know, I don't, I had talked to him about three hours, and he finally said, offered me the position. said, I'd really love you have, have you guys go. And I, I thought about it, and I said, I'm going to do the old Christian delay technique. Let me pray about it. You know what I'm talking about. Now, sometimes, I mean, I'm not making light of prayer. We should pray about it. But oftentimes we say, let me pray about it. When we know we're supposed to say yes right away, and we try to delay it, that maybe God will give us an out. Okay, you know that? And can I somehow say no, you know, in this? And, so I prayed, and I knew, even Nancy and I both knew when we were coming home that we had to say yes. And it made us uncomfortable because we didn't want to move to Russia. Move to Russia, St. Petersburg, a big city. I, I mean, there's 9 million people in Russia. You know, I feel crowded in Great Falls sometimes. You know, I like the, I like the space around me, and 9 million people living there in an apartment building. And, but I absolutely grew to love Russia, and some of my closest friendships in the world are there with the pastors. And then I was in Siberia. Now, I know some people say we're sending you to Siberia as a punishment. I like Siberia, so, you know, I did not want to leave Siberia. It is like Alaska. It's the tundra. It's the big country. And I was there when I got a call from our executive leadership again and said, Andy, could you come back and help us serve as in our executive leadership team in communications? So now my responsibility is the world. And now I'm, you know, working with 2,800 missionaries, all the churches we have across the United States, sharing about the passion of missions. We're still missionaries. I just have to have a leadership responsibility. And every one of those opportunities, I did not want to say yes to. <laughs> now, I know that sounds terrible to say that. I, I liked where I was at. I, I'm, I'm comfortable there. Now, some people have this weird theology. Okay, They'll say, never say you would never do that, because then God is going to ask you to do it. Like, never say, I, I will never go to Africa. Oh, really? Once you say that, God's going to look at you and say, now go to Africa. As if, as if God is up there trying to find ways to make you miserable. It's not that. It's just that I get really comfortable. See, God cares more about your growth than your comfort. And it really is. I mean, we get so comfortable in our chairs that we don't want to move. And I know Bob said, hey, volunteer at church. When you're talking about kids, I remember in Harleton, one of, one of my close friends there, John, I said, John, why don't you maybe become, work with a youth? He was going to help. Another guy we tried to work through. And John, he was a government trapper, brand new Christian. He always said, oh, I can never memorize scripture. I said, ah, John, that's a lame excuse. Yes, you can. You can, you can set out 100 coyote traps and never forget where one's at. Oh, yeah, but I can't remember scripture. Well, he started writing them down on his hands. and He probably still has ink marks on his hand from when he write down the verses. He probably knows more verses than any of us here in this room. I mean, it's amazing. But John said, okay, I'll try it. And 15 years later, he's still working with the youth as an older guy. But you find things out. You get so comfortable that you don't, you don't think you can do it. Lord, I could never help with worship. I could never help with kids. I could never help with a small group. I could never help with a mom's group. I could never do that. And we don't say yes, not because of our inability, but because of our fear. And I just want to challenge you. 
so what? If you're afraid, courage is just simply having fear. As John, would say, John Wayne one time said, courage is having fear, but saddling up anyway. So I'm going to say that about ministry. Just get involved. And really, and so God has called all of us. Once again, I'll go back to it. I'm just a carpenter's kid that somehow God has called me to Russia, called me to Moldova, called me to this position. And I'm passionate about missions. Now, there's a verse in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And this is the verse I want to read today. You probably know it if you've read the Bible very many times. Jesus simply says, these are his last words of him standing on earth. But he says, wait in Jerusalem, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in, and he lists four places. What are they now? Jerusalem, Judea, anybody can help me with a third one? Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Four places. Now they're all connected with an and. And this is my premise. God has called you, each one of you, as part of this church to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now, He's speaking to them in Jerusalem, okay? So this is not the physical. We're not saying all of you are supposed to move to Israel right now and minister there. What it is is an expanding circle, okay? What is your Jerusalem? I could say it right here. Great Falls, Cascade, Montana, Ends of the earth, whatever. I'm just expanding it. God has called you to be his witnesses in all four of these places. And this is really important because all of them are, have their challenges. Jerusalem, your own community, your own family. Where was the one place Jesus was rejected? Think of this. Where was it? His hometown, his family. They looked at him, ah, Jesus, we know that kid when he was a snotty-nosed kid running around here. What are you, you know? And they rejected him. It is hard. Isn't it hard sometimes for us to reach the, those that are closest to us, our family? They know us. They know, when we, they know our weaknesses. They know our failures. They know when we lose our temper. And it, for some reason, that is some of the hardest areas. Uh, Judea. What is the challenges of Judea? I, think, I always say Judea, the challenge is, is we get up and we drive past it on the way to the ends of the earth. We, we ignore it. You know, the, the people, the town right next to us. Because we're all focused on our community right here. Samaria. That area was tough because there was prejudice, there was bad blood, there was history that was there. It's almost more the, the challenge, the sacrifice, is that we've got to humble ourselves and to reconcile. In fact, our nation, I've noticed this when I'm coming back, our nation is more divided, the United States is more divided than I've ever seen. You know, the race relations, uh, ethnicity, and the church has got to be the lead in this, folks. We have got to be the lead. We've got to love every person. We've got to be, it doesn't matter what the past is, we have got to reconcile and reach out to people and to be that kind of church. And the ends of the earth, well, obviously, it's just a little challenge to get there. And we emphasize all of these. They're all hard. Sometimes it takes a little different energy. Now, Jerusalem, what does it take for you to reach your neighbor? Well, you've got to get up out of your lazy boy, okay, Walk across the street and have a cup of coffee with them, right? Talk to them about Jesus. It costs something. I mean, it's me standing up, wasting 15 calories of energy. You'd have just eaten more than 15 calories in those donuts, by the way. I know how many calories I ate. I could visit 100 neighbors just on half a donut and the calories. But, I mean, the cost is I'm getting up, I'm walking over there, I'm going to share Christ. Now, Judea, ah, maybe that's going to, let's say $20 of gas to drive over to Cascade, you know, to to help see a church that's planted, which we have one there now, thank goodness. You know, it's wonderful to see, but it's a little bit of cost. We're moving a little bit farther. Samaria, what's the cost? Well, that's definitely humility. 
It's definitely sitting down with people who are different with us, ethnicity or something, and just saying, how many understand? What's your past? And how can we, how can we reconcile and be leaders? In the ends of the earth, it costs something. This is why sometimes we emphasize missions, because if I'm going to get somebody to go to Laos, we've got to get them there, they've got to raise their support, they've got to fly there, they've got to learn the language, learn the culture. No churches whatsoever in a town of a million, and they've got to somehow plan something. So it's the same thing as if you're going to put a rocket ship into orbit, we don't just fill it up with $25 of gas at the gas station. They measure that fuel in tons, right? That's why none of them are more important than the other. It's why we work so hard as a church to send missionaries. Because it just takes a little bit of effort to get somebody there to see the church planted. And I have stood in places where there's not a single church whatsoever. Nobody knows. Now I know, I because I've this is my town too, I've driven here. I know how many churches are around. And when I go to a place where there's a million people and not one church, my heart breaks. I say, Lord, somehow that is our responsibility. So don't take it away. Your responsibility is to reach Great Falls and to reach Judea and to reach Samaria. But it's also to reach the ends of the earth. In Acts 2, Paul, uh, the prophet said there was a prophecy in the last days god says i'll pour out my spirit on all people your sons and your daughters will prophesy your young men will see visions the old men will dream dreams even on my servants both men and women i'll pour out my spirit in those days they will prophesy i will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below i love that i will show you wonders and signs on the earth below god is doing amazing things around this world Probably about two and a half years ago, two years ago now I think it was, I flew into Iran, the nation of Iran. Now I, I go into a lot of crazy places. I, that one had me a little bit nervous. Nancy was a little, had a slight apprehension, okay? Things were going south, we had something. But I got my passport back with an Iranian visa, and so I said, what should we do? Should we go? So a friend and I flew into Iran, flew to Istanbul first, I got on another airplane and flew into Shiraz, Iran. So as Jesse and I were flying in, we are, you know, I, I wasn't sure what I was going to expect. You know, people, how do you say, you know, are you going to be friendly, are they going to be antagonistic? We're going there on a, you have to go there on a, as a tourist. That's the only way you can get a visa. And so as I'm sitting on the airplane, this first Iranian man is next to me and starts talking to me about his country. Oh, you're going to love this country. You've got to try this food. You've got to try this. Okay, well, that's interesting. You know, you have no idea what, what you're walking into on this. We land, and the, the airplane lands, and we get on the bus to go take us up to the terminal. And the little Iranian woman, who could understand that I was a foreigner, asked the one guy who was next to me to translate, where are you from? Well, I'm from America. Well, thanks so much for coming to Iran. If you were coming to my village, we'd have you over for dinner. Okay, well, this is interesting. And I got to the line. They said, welcome to Iran. Stamped my passport and went in. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have never been in a friendlier nation toward Americans than the nation of Iran. I am not exaggerating that. Everywhere I went, people said, oh, you're from America? Thanks for coming. Can I get a selfie with you? I am, I am not exaggerating. If I would have had $20 for every selfie I gave in Iran, I could have bought a silk rug. I mean, it would have been awesome. Over and over and over again. I say that because it's, the Scripture says, for God so loved the world... Never let the nightly news drive your interpretation of the Great Commission. God loves Iran, and he loves the Iranian. In fact, let me give you a little secret. The fastest growing church in the world, it could be inside Iran right now. God is doing such amazing things. Now, it's small, you know, but it's, and it's home to home. There's no public gathering like this. They don't have any buildings, but the church is meeting in, in 
living rooms and outside and porches, and there are small groups over and over again. Now, we have missionaries not based inside Iran, but we have them outside Iran. So they're in a couple of nearby nations, and as the Iranians go on vacation, they will walk through the park. They can, they can figure out who the Iranian is. They know them, how they dress, their clothes, strike up a conversation over and over again, lead them to the Lord. It's just amazing to see what God is doing. One of the team members was in one of the nations, and he fell sick. It was kind of a very ill, and he had to go to the doctor. And the doctor sent him home and said, you can't leave your apartment. And so he had to stay in the apartment that day. He was really disappointed. He was kind of complaining to God. I know none of you have ever complained to God before in your entire life, but he was kind of bellyaching to God. God, why do I have to be here when now is the best time? All the Iranians are, the rest of the team's out there sharing Christ. This is what I came for. And the Lord spoke to him and said, well, you can go outside. Oh, yeah, I guess I could do that. So he got up out of the apartment building, walked down the stairs of the apartment, and got, went outside the apartment door and sat on the little bench that's just outside. And no longer had he sat down than an Iranian man walks up to him, looks at him and says, Are you a Christian? And he goes, uh, Yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. Good. I knew I was supposed to come here today and somebody would tell me about God. And over the next 15 minutes, he shared about Jesus and the plan of salvation and led him to the Lord that, right then. God is doing amazing things. And I say that because I just want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage you. God is moving around this world. We look at the news and it always looks so terrible. You can't hardly, I can't even watch the news. It sends me into depression. You just don't even watch it. But God is doing things that are never reported there. And I want to encourage you to be a part of missions. Be a part of it. Give and pray and go. Be a part of what God is doing around the world. I met another man, kind of jump over to Europe now. Remember when the refugee crisis was there? Probably was two years ago and you saw these big crowds and masses of people that were going through and they were moving into Europe. And Well, one of these guys was like that. and He made an interesting statement. His name is Michael. I met him in Vienna. And Michael said, I always had a heart for God, but the only God I knew was Allah. Now, just let that sink in. There was, he never heard about Jesus, had never known it. So he says, the only God I knew was Allah, so I became a serious Muslim. I studied, I went, I did all the things I was supposed to. In fact, I even did my pilgrimage to Mecca. And when I was at Mecca one time, he says, I went to Mecca, and while I was there, I heard the screams and the punishment from the corporal punishment. They chop off hands of thieves. And he could hear tears and the cries of this. And something snapped on his inside, and he said, that is my religion? I'm going to give you a little parenthesis here, a little rabbit trail. All this terrible stuff that happens, you know, the terrorism, it has made so many Muslims disillusioned with their faith that they are coming to Christ. So even what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn around toward good. Amen? It's amazing to see. In fact, we have thousands of Muslims that have come to Christ in Europe in the last year or two just because of that, as they poured in there at the immigration, the disillusioned with the, their faith, that religion that they grew up with. Well, Michael, he went home after a trip to Mecca, disillusioned. He left and went to University in London, got a chance to study business there. While he was studying, he says, I remember walking home one day, and I was at the bus stop, actually, to get on my bus to go home, and a little British girl walks up to me and says, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And he looked at her and said, I'm a Muslim, turned his back and got on the bus and went home. 
Then he had to fast forward again. He had to flee his country, one of those, once again, terror, you know, the, the horrors were coming. And he fled, got on a, a boat across the water, ended up in Europe, worked his way up from Greece all the way into Austria. And his first day in Vienna, he was in the subway station, when this Egyptian woman walks up to him and says, Hello, where are you from? And he said, which country is from? He said, oh, wonderful. We got people just like you at our church. Why don't you come with me tomorrow? Okay, I'll do that. So they arranged to meet the next morning. She went there to the subway station, took him to the church, and he's standing in a worship service. Uh, I want to just tell you, we so often take for granted the privilege we have of worshiping the Lord. Okay, you know, we had time to sing. We can worship the Lord. And I, you know, I don't care if it's your style. I don't care if it's your favorite songs. We have a privilege to worship God, and we should do it every single time. Because this is the first time he ever heard it. And he heard the songs of those worship, and all of a sudden his mind went right back to Mecca, being disillusioned with his faith. He went, he remembered, he says, I remember that British girl walking up to me and said, Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. He says, I remember all of a sudden all these things came sweeping back. And he ran to the altar. And in that church in Vienna, there's at least a hundred Muslims that have come to Christ in one year because they found Jesus. And I look at that and say, folks, all it takes is an ordinary person. None of us get the credit, right? I mean, what was it? It was one Egyptian woman invited him, but there was a British girl that talked to him. There was people that were praying. God uses every single one of us in our abilities. And I want to encourage you, God can use you. All it is, Lord, I don't have anything. Well, you can just at least invite somebody to come to church with you. You can be a friend with somebody who is lonely. You can find somebody who doesn't, doesn't look like they have any friends, and you can reach out to them. God is doing the impossible. Amen? Um, Fauzi, I'll move a little farther into Africa. Fauzi's in Mali, the nation of Mali. And he's been there. His, his testimony is kind of wild. It's interesting because he was raised in a Muslim family came to Christ, had to flee his family. He's retirement age right now. He really, he should be retiring. But a year or two ago, he said, I want to do something different. I got the last of my life. I'm going to go to the, the hardest part of Mali. So he's out to the, the toughest place in Mali. Now, I, I've used three illustrations about Muslims, but I, it could be anywhere in the world. In fact, I think sometimes the toughest areas of the world right now are Europe, which is secular, purely secular, or the Buddhist world. I mean, those are even harder yet. But we're seeing things happen in the Muslim world, and I want to use those as illustration. But God's doing good things around the world. Well, he decided, I'm going to go out, I'm going to do something totally different, and he moved about three hours south of the capital, and he set up a small farm. Now, he has some agricultural background. So these are, this part of Mali is called the Sahel, and it's, it's a little stretch is underneath the Sahara Desert. So if you're following that, if you ever see, like in the news, the droughts that are happening, those big tragedies, usually it's happening right there. It's just they, they don't get good crops, they'll get a drought, people starve. I mean, they're right at the edge of survival. And so he's out there, this tribe, very fiercely Muslim. I mean, they are hardcore, hardly any Christians among them at all. And he comes to the village and he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help people, teach them how to do better crops. So he taught them how to do like two crops of wheat or two, put in some other crap. Crop, uh, crops that are they can, maybe trees they can make some more money on. He has irrigation. He's doing all these lessons of how to simply do agriculture better. Okay, this, He's a farmer. He's a teacher who's a farmer is what he's doing. And the Muslim elders send their sons out to work on the farm to learn how to do this for him. So what they do is they, 
literally they're in a barn that's about half this size and is made with tin metal and it is hot it was 110 degrees when i was there they sleep underneath mosquito nets not to keep the mosquitoes off but to keep the scorpions from coming in to biting them and they're all sleeping on mattresses and there's a dozen young guys out there at the same time and they get up in the morning they have breakfast they have a devotional he reads the bible they pray together they have breakfast they go out and work in the field they come in at lunch, they read a scripture, do a short devotional, pray together, eat lunch together. They do the same thing at dinner. They spend time together. That's all they do. This is not a church. They're not a service. They're just spending time around the table talking about Jesus. When I was there with Fauzi, and it had been a year at that point, he says, over the last year, 20 of these young guys have come to Jesus. 20 of them, just by sitting around and seeing reality. See, authentic jesus authentic christianity a walk with christ speaks so loudly to this world and i say that because the impossible regions are not impossible amen god can do it god can do it now when we went to moldova we actually had people from great falls come and join us there we were i was just there we worked on freedom home we did that so my wife started an aftercare home for girls that had been trafficked into prostitution so it was the issue of the day. It was, this was really before the issue of the day. And she found this. And we get these Moldovans, girls coming back. So we, I remember we had a couple of teams from Great Falls over the years come and help us with that home and with a church. I just was at, just preaching at that same church about two weeks ago. And when we started this, we didn't really understand. Now I, I already told you I'm a carpenter's kid. I have no background in, I, I think I had one psychology class in my entire life. Okay, so... I'm working on church planning. Nancy's working on this. But I became Uncle Andy to these girls. And there's one of the girls that's in there. I will call her Amy. I'll change her name. Just saw her a couple weeks ago. We found her when she was passed out drunk behind a bus stop. She had a one-year-old child next to her. This is the brokenness we have. Her mom sold her when she was 13 years old. She was forced on the streets of Moscow, prostituted, beaten, uh, raped, out of that came one of these children. You know, it just, you're talking about evil that's beyond evil, it's beyond evil. And so Amy came into the home and she did not know love. She was like a street dog that had been kicked and had rocks thrown on it everywhere. And her little daughter was so cute, one year old. She would just sit there and go, carne, carne, which is meat. And she didn't know anything. And we'd give her meat. She probably never had meat hardly in her life. And now this little Veronica is about 10 years old, third grade, is dreaming about being an airplane pilot. And that's, what, that's the transform, transformed lives. But Amy didn't know God. She didn't know anything. And it took us a year, probably a year, before she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. I mean, it was awesome. And you saw life come in your, her eyes. Have you ever said, read a scripture and said, oh, I wish I was there? Like, I, I remember Lazarus. Oh, I wish I could have been there and seen Lazarus walk out of the tomb. Have you ever said that? I tell people, I have been there and Lazarus' name was Amy, because I saw a dead person rise. You know, She was dead. But a year later, when she came to Christ, it was amazing to see the smile. Life came in her eyes. It really did. Another year down the road, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. You saw smiles come on her face. Now, I mean, we're dealing with problems still. It's not, we still have challenges. It's a long-term process. But you saw life come in in a transformed life. We went, and then one day, I remember us even, even then, even two years into this, we still had challenges. You're still dealing with darkness and spiritual warfare. We went over there one time, and she hadn't been sleeping because every night she would be hearing voices. And these voices would be suicidal thoughts. Why should you be there? And so we prayed that night. But Nancy and I came back the next day and said, we just want to take some time and pray extensively with you. So we sat and we prayed. And we looked, and 
about 15 minutes. No, no fireworks, nothing like that. And Nancy said, well, Amy, how do you feel? And Amy just smiled and said, oh, it's going to be fine now. Oh, really? Why is that? Well, when you're praying, I opened my eyes and Jesus talked to me. Oh, okay, Amy. That's really nice, okay? What did Jesus say? Now, you've got to recognize, Amy probably has fetal alcohol. She's been beaten. She can't remember things. She mixes up which language. But three times in a row, she quoted exactly what God said to her. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. The demons are gone. Do not fear. And we went, okay, and she repeated it. We got a third time, we repeated it and wrote it down in her Bible. And I say, God has transformed her life. Because I saw her two weeks ago, and she came running up to me. Uncle Andy, how are you doing? And I see a miracle happen. When she comes running up to me and holds, and this is the best illustration I could say, when she hugs me and little Veronica comes flying up and gives me a hug and says, Uncle Andy, you're back. I realize I'm the richest man in the world. That is what it's all about. Now, it cost me blood, sweat, tears, sleepless nights, hair that I could not afford to lose. I mean, it really did. But when you hold something that's priceless in your arms, that's what it's all about. And I want to challenge you as a church, that is what missions is about. Is there's a life at the other end. I know we talk about missions. And I'm not sure what you guys as a church, I want to encourage you as a church, support missionaries, send missionaries, give financially to missionaries, pray for missionaries, go yourself. Because we, there's a person at the end. You don't just give to missions. You're not just supporting Anna Rostek in Africa. Okay, I'm going to pick on that. There's a person that is going to be changed and transformed who's going to be resurrected to life spiritually because somebody went and gave. And in all of this, we will never know the reward until we stand in heaven. In fact, that is probably why the discipline of missions giving is so important. Because that is the one thing that we give to, that we will never know the result until we stand at heaven before God. And I personally think somehow we're going to see the faces of people that are transformed, and we're going to understand that our prayers and our giving and our sacrifice made a difference. Now, I know a building's a building. You know, we're, I still work on finances. I'm committed financially to helping Anna and Veronica, every one of the kids of the women there, I'm going to see them through high school, Christian high school. We're going to see them get through college because that's my commitment. I'm breaking a generational curse. Veronica is going to be a pilot. If, if I can do anything, I can. Her, uh, Amy's mom and her sister are in prison for killing somebody. Her dad is in prison for killing somebody. If I don't break that pattern right now in Veronica's life, they would have been in the same situation. So we're committed to that. I was at a church. I just preached it. Yeah, we build a building. We, we got a building up. I'm trying to get Viazza Noah finished. It's like twenty five or 30000 And so I raise funds for that. That's important. But it's never about a building. It's about the girl or the guy or the old man or the young man that stand, walks through those doors and is resurrected to life by the power of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you, church, go give and pray. One last illustration, and I'll quit because I'm pushing my time. I know. Um, when we lived in St. Pete, there was a little China factory there called Lamanos of China. So if you really want to look it up, find the, the Tsar's China, porcelain or something like that. You can find it. There's some beautiful blue lattice work that they used to have for the Tsars. And now, they're very fragile. I, have a, you know, I am a, I'm a founding member of the Fathers of Female Support Group. Okay, I just wanted you to understand that. Wife, three daughters, even my dog is female, okay? So sometimes I come home, you know, open the door, and estrogen just oozes out. You know, I have no idea what to do with this. So uh, as a miracle, you always find, if I can find a gift for my girls, hey, that's a winner, you know, and porcelain was one of them. Hey, what is it? I'm going to get you a teacup. You know, that's what I'll do. And they're great teacups. I mean, they're beautiful. They're gorgeous, and my wife and the girls love them. But they're fragile. 
As if you take one, if I had one of those here and dropped it on this floor, it's shattered, right? It is in a million pieces. Now, I'm a parent. I have glued more things together than you could ever imagine. Barbies, heads on, Polly Pockets, you know, all these little pet shops, whatever era you have your kids at. And I've glued them on. I should have had stock and super glue, you know, that years ago. But when something like that porcelain thing falls on this, it's in a million pieces. It's like dust, right? I mean, you cannot. I could sweep it up into one little pile. There is no hope for that to come back together. I mean, even if I stepped on it, it turns into almost like dust. But I've always looked at that and thought, this was Amy when she walked into that home. She was shattered and broken. There was no, my ability ended right here. In fact, I am Pentecostal now. I'm going to tell you what that means. It means my abilities end. Unless the Holy Spirit steps in, nothing happens. That's really my definition of Pentecostal, more than anything else. Yeah, there's signs and there's wonders, but it, the Holy Spirit has got to do something. And you go back to Genesis, when mankind was created. It says, God swept up the dirt, and He breathed life into it. And He breathed life into it. And I saw that happen in Amy. I've seen it in some young guy in a village in Moldova. I've been in a tundra in, with the reindeer people in northern Russia. And I saw the same thing. Life breathed into somebody who was so broken. It's not us that does that, but we're all apart. And that's why I say I don't get any credit, but we all get the credit. We all get the credit for praying, because without prayer, nothing happens. We all give the credit because we give, because we've invested in something. Somebody has shared. And so my simple challenge to you is today is obey God. Simply step out of your comfort zone and obey God and invest I'm going to challenge you. I have no hesitation to say I invest financially. I do it. Man, I'm supported a half dozen, eight, ten missionaries myself. Nancy and I do. We believe in it. We give monthly to missions. I, because I know there's a string. I'm investing in Tanzania. I'm investing in Spain. I'm investing in these places because I want to see lives that are changed. But it's not about the $10 bill or a $100 bill or a $1,000 check. Whatever it is, I don't, it doesn't make any difference. It's not the number of zeros. It's us just investing and saying, God, I will do what I want to do to see the church built in the ends of the earth. And I'm doing that. And I believe in that. But it's not about the money. It's about a person's name who's changed. I challenge you to pray, church. I challenge you to pray. Because every missionary out there, when I ask them, what do you need? They say, tell the churches to pray. Pray that God calls people here and that we see a breakthrough. Because nothing happens without prayer. And go. I'm praying out of this church. In the next decade, will God speak to another missionary that will go and give their life? Let me pray for you right now. Would you just bow your heads? I just really want just kind of a moment here. I'm going to ask a simple question. I just really feel like I need to ask it this morning. Um, Just with your heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to just challenge, ask very simply here. If there's somebody here that says, you've been listening to the lies of the enemy, and that you feel like you are unable to be used of God. Now, I'm, this is the flip side. This is really not my motivation for this message. Sometimes there, there's an old, old, old saying of preachers. It says, we're called to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Okay? And I want to comfort somebody here. Because I think there's a lie of the enemy that somebody says, I am unworthy. And you would say, Andy, you don't know my background. You don't know what I've done. You don't know my sin. You don't know what sin has been done to me. You don't know my brokenness. You don't know where I've come from. And I just want to say to you very directly that the Lord looks at you and says, I see something in you. You know, yeah, you've just been saved. You're just a Christian. But, you know, you maybe you could have a heart and reach youth someday. Maybe you could work with kids. Maybe you could be a missionary. Maybe you could just be in worship. Maybe you could be a greeter at the door. 
Maybe you could help with the meal. I don't know. But you feel unworthy and it's a lie of the enemy. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand up? Just for me to see. Just for me, because I'm going to pray for you. Anybody here? Anybody? Okay, thanks. Thanks. Second one I want to challenge. The question is, how many of you do I need to afflict? That you realize you've been in a state of comfort. That you've been so happy in your comfort zone that you have not let the Lord stretch you out of your comfort zone. And you're feeling the Lord in some area, some way, saying, yeah, I'm talking to you today. Would you take a step of faith and be used of me? If that's you and that's your prayer, just hold your hand up just for me to see. Is anybody here? Okay, thanks, 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 thanks. Lord, right now I'm going to pray for this church. Lord, church, this Connect Church, I pray that you fill with a spirit of courage. A courage to follow you, that if your voice says to us, yes, go, that we will just say, okay, Lord. Lord, I pray that you give them a courage to respond to you and your Holy Spirit. Lord, give them the courage to say yes to you in whatever way you speak to them. Lord, if you're speaking to them in volunteering at this church to be a different member, maybe you're speaking to them across the street to talk to their neighbor. Maybe you're speaking to them about missions. Lord, I do not know, but you know because your Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts here today. And so, God, I pray that you give each person here courage to simply say yes to the areas that you're speaking to them about. And Lord, I pray that we may step out of our comfort zone and we may follow you. Lord, when we step out on that road, we will not return the same way. But Lord, give us hearts that are passionately running after you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.